Welcome, everybody, to the Richard Krause Show Booze and Reviews Christmas Party. Woohoo! Glorious! Ho, 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 ho. Today, we're going to celebrate Christmas by having a look at some of the best holiday movies to check out over a glass of eggnog. I'll tell you about everything from Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, who work as hard as Santa's reindeers on Christmas Eve to spread goodwill in Spirited, to Violent Night, the story of a sledgehammer-wielding Santa Claus who goes to war against an elite team of mercenaries. Time for some season's beatings. And if that wasn't enough, I'll suggest a cocktail or a mocktail, something you can make at home to go along with the movie and tell you all about the history of our favorite holiday thirst quenchers, an education on eggnog, if you will. Did you know, for instance, that eggnog dates back to the 13th century in England and George Washington's recipe for the frothy Christmas favorite included one pint of brandy, half a pint of rye whiskey, half a pint of Jamaican rum, and a quarter of a pint of sherry. Wow! Also, later in the show, I'll unwrap the booziest Christmas song ever. I wonder if you can guess what Christmas favorite that might be. Let's get right at it. I've set up the VCR, dusted off the VHS tapes, and made fresh ice for drinks. It's time for the Richard Krause Show Booze and Reviews Christmas Party. I really doubt that Spirited, the new Will Ferrell Christmas musical now streaming on Apple TV+, will give people the same kind of holiday feels as the stone-cold Yuletide classic Elf. Oh my god! Santa here? I know him! But Farrell and co-star, and greatest Canadian ever, Ryan Reynolds, work as hard as Santa's elves on Christmas Eve to spread the goodwill. In this modern twist on the 1843 novella A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, the story focuses on the haunters, not the haunted. For almost 200 years, the afterlife spirits, that's the ghost of Christmas present, past, and Christmas yet to come, scare one scroogey type into changing their lives for the better. Trouble is, after almost two centuries of work, the ghost of Christmas present wonders if he wants to continue transforming the lives of strangers. I mean, he could retire, get his gold watch, Sephora gift card, and return to life as a mortal in the present day, but he has his eye on one more client. He wants to redeem the unredeemable. That's Clint, a slick spin doctor who works for politicians and big corporations. On a bitter, cold Christmas Eve, one dark soul is selected for redemption by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. A tradition that continues to this very night. Like a Christmas carol? Yes, yes. If you would just let me get this out, sit. So, out of all the people on the planet, murderers, people who do gender reveal parties, I'm the guy you're going to haunt. You know what? Forget it. So what can you expect from Spirited? Well, both Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds bring their well-crafted personas to the movie. Ferrell's finely crafted goofiness contrasts with Reynolds' sardonic character. They are not exactly Hope and Crosby, but as funny all-singing, all-dancing combos go these days, they'll have to do. 
They have great chemistry in this light-hearted movie that updates the 179-year-old story with subplots about the dangers of online life in addition to the more traditional themes of the importance of forgiveness, generosity, and compassion. Spirited owes a debt not only to A Christmas Carol, but in its modern take to Scrooge to the 1988 Bill Murray movie that shares the same DNA. It's Christmas Eve. It's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We, we, we smile a little easier. We, 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 we share a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year... We are the people that we always hoped we would be. Like Scrooged, Spirited finds a way to make an old story feel fresh. And that's the biggest gift of all to the audience. Here's Will Ferrell on Spirited. Hopefully that they just, they laugh, they have a great time, they're, they, you know, finish after watching the movie, humming some of the, these very catchy songs, and, uh, and that it kind of gives everyone a, a little bit of hope that, uh, humanity can be a little kinder to each other and what he likes to do at christmas just the usual putting up the tree decorating the tree i i really have to kind of wrangle our three boys to like focus and like this is a good thing hanging ornaments i only get about a solid 20 minutes out of them and then i do the rest but uh but i love that i mean i i, I really do love shopping for presents and um yeah all, the, all those basic things. That was Will Ferrell, but now we get to the important stuff. What spirit should we sip on while watching Spirited on Apple TV Plus? Here we come a-wassailing among the leaves so green. Here we come a-wandering so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you your wassail too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. Why not check out Spirited with a warm cup of Smoking Bishop? You've never heard of it? Well, it's a type of mulled wine or wassail that was especially popular in Victorian England at Christmas time. It's even mentioned in the Charles Dickens story A Christmas Carol. That's the novella that inspired the Spirited story. Served in bowls that resembled a bishop's mitre, Smoking Bishop is a warm, delicious punch made from pork, red wine, lemons or Seville oranges, sugar and spices like cloves and it's meant to be enjoyed responsibly. Mulled drinks or wassails like the Smoking Bishop are an integral part of wassailing. That's an ancient English yuletide drinking ritual that involved going door to door and calling for the homeowner to bring out a figgy pudding or a cup of good cheer. Even if you've never heard of wassailing, you've probably been singing about it if you sing Christmas carols. The song that we sing today, Here We Go A Caroling, was originally Here We Go A Wassailing, and the classic We Wish You A Merry Christmas makes a whole lot more sense if you consider that the wassailers wouldn't leave until they got some good cheer and figgy pudding. And essentially what that means is that if the wassailers didn't get the food and the good cheer and all that kind of stuff, they were likely to curse the homeowner or at the very least leave their estates vandalized. While the smoking bishop is warming up on the stove, let's have a look at another Christmas special. I just saw on the calendar that right now on Earth, it's almost Christmas time. We don't have time for trivialities like Christmas. But Peter's so sad about Gamora being gone. 
maybe if we go to Earth for a really wonderful Christmas gift, it would make him happy. Something special he will never forget. What about someone special? We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. I just said that, Drax. If your voice is small and mousy, I think maybe he didn't hear you. Ah! You're coming with us as a Christmas present. That was a taste of the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, now streaming on Disney+, Plus, which I'm happy to report is much, much better than that other sci-fi Christmas show, the So Bad It's Hilarious Star Wars Holiday Special. As you may have gathered from the clip, Drax and Mantis try to bring some Christmas cheer to their leader, Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt, by going to Earth to find the perfect gift, Star-Lord's hero, Kevin Bacon. On Earth, they don't exactly fit in as they attempt to capture the movie star, but they do learn lessons about friendship and family, even though their Christmas adventure involves kidnapping and mind control. James Gunn, director of the surprisingly warm and fuzzy Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, explains how this very special Christmas special came about. I loved the... Um the Star Wars holiday special when I was a kid. Now, a lot of people don't like it. They don't think it was the greatest work of art that's ever existed. But as a child, I adored it. And I wanted to do something, you know, that was just off the wall for Marvel, for the MCU, and do a, a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. And this started maybe, like, it was right while we were still in post-production for volume two. So this was many years ago that I brought this up to Kevin Feige wanting to do this. You know, not too surprisingly, Kevin's like, oh, that's a great idea. And so I went off and wrote it in a very short amount of time and we started developing it and uh, and we were going to put it. It was before Disney Plus. We we're actually going to put it on ABC at the time. And uh, and then one thing led to the next and things kept getting pushed. And finally, during the shooting of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we would, had the opportunity to shoot this. And it it was great because we had all the big sets. We had the enormous four-story Bowie spaceship um, that we had in, in the movie. We had the entire set of Nowhere with all of the hundreds of extras there. Um, and we had these great sets that we could use to shoot something that was a pretty intimate tale. And I think Guardians uh, Holiday Special is very unique for the MCU because it is about just the relationships. There's not a big bad guy that they're out there fighting. It's truly a sort of Christmas special that's a family comedy. Originally, it, it, it was going to be a, two stories about Mantis wanting to give a good gift to her brother, Peter, and also this sort of action-oriented thing. And I realized that I didn't care about the action-oriented thing. I only, carried, I only cared about the family part of it, the part of the Guardians' family, as found family, and the fact that she wanted to give Kevin Bacon as a gift to Peter and she's an alien. She doesn't understand like what's what's right or what's wrong in certain ways. So um, I found that to be what was really fun. I think viewers can look forward to a great deal of holiday magic in the Christmas special. I love the holidays and I love the Marvel fans. And this is my gift to the Marvel fans for the holidays. So I get to have all the things I love together. I hope it's something that whole families can sit down and watch together 
Grandma will love it. The kids will love it. It really is for the entire family. That was James Gunn, writer and director of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, now streaming on Disney+. Check it out. It really is as hilarious as it is heartwarming. And it even has a great new Christmas song called Here It Is Christmas from Kevin Bacon and the band The Old 97s. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. There have been all kinds of Christmas flicks. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians is holiday sci-fi kitsch. The 1984 Don't Open Till Christmas is a combo of serial killer and Santa Claus stories. And the title Barbie in a Christmas Carol, well, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. A recent addition to the Christmas movie mashup genre is Violent Night, a yuletide flick for action fans that put Santa in John Wick mode. David Harbour, the actor best known for playing the chief of police of Hawkins, Indiana, on the huge, giant hit show Stranger Things, brings the fury as Santa Claus. In this violent flick, jolly old Saint Nick gets all home alone on an elite team of thieves who have their eyes on stealing $300 million. You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the ranger do most of the work. <laughs> this is my fourth year as a Santa. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. I don't want any trouble, okay? Something's gonna scooch up that chimney. Here the movie star, David Harbour, talks about his initial reaction to reading the script for Violent Night. Initially it, was, it just confused me, and I think things that confuse me I get really excited about. <laughs> but then I talked to the director, who's this like Norwegian, like big into uh, Christmas and reindeer and all these things, very excited. And David Leach, who's a big action guy, uh, does some incredible action movies that I've loved. And then I read the script and I was like, oh, so this has a big action movie component to it. It's got a lot of funny stuff as well, but underneath it is this beautiful, heartwarming story of this little girl whose family life is less, you know, she, she's lacking a lot in her family life and she needs to believe in Santa Claus. And then by the end of the movie, you believe that Santa's real and you, and, and with her, you have this cathartic uh, experience. And, I thought that was like quite thrilling, and I thought it would be a real big swing to get it right. It really is a Christmas movie, and it will make you believe in Santa Claus, and it will make you believe that Santa Claus can also kick your ass if you're on the naughty list. Since this is the Richard Krause Show Christmas Booze and Reviews Party, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you what kind of drink to enjoy while watching Violent Night. I chose a very special kind of eggnog because it's a traditional drink that you could imagine Santa Claus sipping, but like the Santa in the movie, it also packs a wallop. Eggnog dates back to the medieval times, but it became very popular during colonial times when the Brits brought the recipe over from England. Apparently, George Washington was a fan, but if this truly is his recipe, it seems like he really went for the Christmas spirits. To make the first president's eggnog, mix one quart of cream, one quart of milk, one dozen tablespoons of sugar, one pint brandy, half a pint of whiskey, half a pint of Jamaican rum, 
quarter of a pint of sherry. You mix the liquor first, then separate the yolks and whites of 12 eggs. Add sugar to the beaten yolks and mix well. You add the milk and cream, slowly beating it all the while. You beat the whites of the eggs until they're stiff and fold into the mixture. Then you let it set in a cool place for several days. And here's the most important part. Don't forget to taste frequently. The movie Black Christmas is a groundbreaking 1974 Canadian horror film about a sorority house terrorized by a murderous stranger. It's billed as the first modern slasher movie. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. It also inspired a Santa sleigh of copycats, so I thought I'd take a look at holiday films without an ounce of tinsel treacle. First up is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Originally called Sleigh Ride, this movie about a teen who goes on a murderous rampage dressed as Santa after his parents are killed changed its name for release. In its first weekend, it outgrossed, I mean literally and figuratively, Nightmare on Elm Street, but then parents angry at Santa's portrayal as an axe murderer picketed theaters and the box office dried up. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Number two on the naughty list comes from producer K. Gordon Murray. He was best known for snapping up the rights to foreign films and dubbing them into English for American audiences. His best known pickup was Santa Claus, a strange yuletide flick about St. Nick and Merlin doing battle with Lucifer. Originally produced in Spanish and featuring a Santa Claus who doesn't live at the North Pole, but above it in a magic castle in outer space, isn't exactly scary, but it may be the weirdest movie on this list. Come face to face with the devil himself, a mischievous demon determined to mess things up as much as he can. Leave it to that devilish trickster to sidetrack Santa up a tree. Watch the jolly hijinks of Santa Claus as he decides to fight fire with fire. You won't want to miss the entertainment wonder of the ages, the treat of a lifetime for anyone who has ever believed there really is a Santa Claus. Number three is Elves. When most people think of Dan Haggerty, visions of the gruff but kind-hearted mountain man from the 1970s TV show The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams come to mind. B-movie fans, however, remember him as Mike McGavin, a down-on-his-luck department store Santa who does battle with a bloodthirsty Nazi elf in Elves. It suffers from cheesy dialogue, I had a rough day at work, Santa got murdered, that's one of the better lines. And the fact that a movie called Elves features only one elf, but it is so ho, ho, ho horrible that it's fun to watch. Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker, Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore.
Imagine if our collective image of Santa Claus had been shaped by allegory of gluttony and lust painter Hieronymus Bosch instead of some nameless commercial artist at Coca-Cola, and you'll get the idea of the dark edge of Tim Burton's The Night Before Christmas. The jolly fat man in the red suit is gone, hijacked by a skeleton in a pinstriped suit. The story of the mayor of Halloween Town who kidnaps and impersonates Sandy Claus to bring his own brand of goodwill to the world is a Disney release, but it's one of the rare ones that isn't meant for the entire family. Welcome to an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder. Open your mind and let yourself go to a place where every day is Halloween. And every night, Jack Skellington... I am the Pumpkin King! <laughs> ...dreams of something different. Next is a Christmas movie that takes advantage of our love of zombies. Walking Dead fans might get a charge out of Silent Night, Zombie Night, a Christmas viral outbreak movie so realistic that a concerned citizen called the police during filming, citing gang violence. The LAPD showed up by foot, car, and air, only to find movie zombies battling with prop weapons. Virginia, there ain't no Santa Claus. Yeah, what today is? It's Christmas. We close out this look at the naughtiest Christmas movies of all time with Christmas Evil, the best of the Santa as serial killer movies, and before you ask, there are quite a few of them. In this one, a boy is traumatized after walking in on his parents in bed with dad dressed as Santa. He develops daddy issues and a Santa fixation, and one Christmas Eve brings murder home for the holidays. This Christmas... Santa's going to make everyone happy. The grown-ups. And the kids. Christmas Evil. You better believe in Santa. Or he'll slay you. Season's greetings, everyone. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Now let's talk about A Christmas Carol. Well, sort of talk about it. Around this time of year, A Christmas Carol is omnipresent. The story of Ebenezer Scrooge's journey of redemption, courtesy of three mysterious Christmas ghosts, runs on an endless Yuletide television loop and has been adapted as an opera, a ballet, a Broadway musical. It's animated and it's even a BBC mime production starring Marcel Marceau. Today, I'll tell you about the movie The Man Who Invented Christmas, which aims to tell you the story behind the story of A Christmas Carol. Downton Abbey's Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens, Victorian writer who, when we first meet him, is out of ideas and money. When he devises a Christmas story, his publishers, who have gotten rich off his previous works, scoff. The holiday season isn't a big enough deal for their readers, they say, and it's only six weeks away. How can he finish a novel and how can they publish it in such a short time? He perseveres and we see how real-life inspiration and his imagination collide to create the self-published book that redefined Christmas celebrations for generations to come. So he's had a couple of flops? Well, who hasn't? You have a new book in mind? Oh, of course he does. My lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. Are we in trouble? No, of course not. Ah! It's about a miser and on Christmas Eve. 
He meets some kind of supernatural guides. Does it have a title? Humbug A Miser's Lament. Christmas ghost story, Christmas song. Christmas ballad, something like that. Get the name right and the character will appear. Scratch. Scrounger. Come on. Scrooge. Shut the window. You think I'm made of money? Mr. Scrooge. How delightful to meet you, sir. Sorry, I can't say the same. You and I are going to do wonderful things together. I spoke with the film's screenwriter, Susan Coyne, about Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, and The Man Who Invented Christmas. It's really about somebody who was at a crisis in their life, personally and creatively and so on, and and as, as often happens with great writers, and had to reinvent himself in mm-hmm. some ways and had to go into his own personal psyche to do it, basically. And that's, the, that's kind of what the, the ghosts are for, uh, for um, him as well as for Scrooge. Yeah, so in the, in the film, we see Ebenezer Scrooge played by Christopher Plummer. And it'll kind of make you wish that Christopher Plummer would play Ebenezer Scrooge in, a, in, a, in a long, in everything. Yeah, in, a, in everything. <laughs> uh, but you also see the ghost. There's sort of a fantasy element mm-hmm. uh, of the story uh, where Dickens is is trying to come up with these ideas and he finds them sort of in his life. And the interesting thing about it is it's very hard, I think, to show the creative process on screen, mm-hmm. especially writers. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah, it's good. You can only watch and people. Ink and, you know, <laughs> and we've seen that before. It's yeah. hard to do it, but I I think this movie finds a way to show the creative process in a way that makes people understand the kind of ephemeral world of what it's like to be a writer. Well, and this partly came from my research about Dickens himself as a writer, and he was a very visual yeah. uh, and uh, and kind of like an actor, really. Yeah. So he really did talk to his characters. His daughter said that she watched him get up and he would act out all the characters and he'd look in the mirror and create dialogue and mess his hair up and <laughs> put on funny accents. So... This isn't so much of a stretch in the sense that he really did see these characters. That's why I think they're so vivid to us. So I was really extrapolating from something that was kind of part of his creative process. I hope it's a fun ride, but I also think he was a very, uh, I think, as I say, a popular moralist. You know, somebody who could um, write very entertaining uh, works of art, but also really affected people and made them feel like they should do something with what they, their good fortune. So I think that's why it's suitable as a Christmas movie. And he was the first one to kind of say, at least once a year, we should sit down and think, what are we doing with our lives? And how can we, you know, and and also talked about the great scene in A Christmas Carol is the joy that Scrooge has when he wakes up and realizes he has a second chance. And I think that's also really a powerful kind of message. Well, your movie kind of echoes that there there's sort of there are beats of a christmas carol mm-hmm. all the way through yeah deliberately. and he has that joyful moment second and i don't chance. want to give anything away <laughs> but there's a second chance for him when it looks like everything's about to kind of fall apart and he's been horrible to people and that kind of thing there's a second chance that comes along yeah. and it's a yeah. great moment a personal moment yeah, yeah. A personal moment yeah. yeah it's not quite as large an epiphany i don't think as scrooge, scrooge is, no. <laughs> but uh, very few of us will ever have as large an, an epiphany as scrooge that was susan coyne screenwriter of the Man Who Invented Christmas, a movie that entertainingly paints a picture of life inside the Victorian home of Charles Dickens and the external influences that sparked his imagination. This is a festive movie, a film for the holidays that reminds us of the spirit of the season. There's no bah humbugs here.
Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas is a musical documentary about the amazing story of a group of Jewish songwriters who wrote the soundtrack to Christmas. I spoke with director Larry Weinstein about the film and the meaning behind the classic songs like White Christmas, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. What do you think makes a great Christmas song? I think that the really great Christmas songs are about... And, and sort of counterintuitively, I think, about melancholy, about loss, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams, uh, songs like that, that are about sort of nostalgia and a feeling for the subject and for the time, but um, that have a, just a little tinge of sadness to them. I think you're right. I haven't thought of it that way exactly. I thought that there's a wide-eyed, kind of na almost naive approach. I, I think of these guys who wrote these things being outsiders, looking yeah. in, looking through a window and seeing these beautiful idealized Christmas celebrations yeah. and, and, and having so much, um, uh, well, affection for it, but, but envy too. And, 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 uh, but what you're saying is true. I had a real, uh, for a little while, uh, for, for a while, Hoxley Workman was going to be one of the musicians in the film and he, he's written some Christmas songs and he said, he was desperately trying to recapture what these guys did mm -hmm. and that, that it was a different time and that these times have changed and, and the melancholy is there. I think that might be partly because so many of these people were either immigrants or children of immigrants who came from terrible circumstances in Europe and then most of them came to New York and, and when that, as, as, yeah, I mean that, that Statue of Liberty actually meant something and they came with open arms and they're trying desperately to be American and, and, and lovingly so. Yeah. It's very sincere. A lot of people are cynical about, oh, they were trying to make a buck. Well, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of these songs written. So why did these last mm -hmm. generations? I think what you're saying is right. There's something about them that is sort of like a hook to me that, that, that always makes them mean something more than just uh, a, a song that you hear in, you know, in, at Walmart and it sort of goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, even even in, in terms of what you're saying, even Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm -hmm. which is such a, you know, a silly yeah. children's song in a way, has its very melancholy roots of yeah. uh, a, a man and an in, outsider, an outsider. And yeah. You, yeah, I mean that's obvious. It's obvious. It's about an outsider who who decides they they have to be proud of what they are and all that. But it was written by a man who Robert May, who, who it was based on his coloring book that he made for Montgomery Ward department store. They commissioned him yeah, and he right. came up with Rudolph Reynolds Reindeer, kind of based on his own child growing up in New Rochelle as a Jewish kid who was laughed, kids laughed at him, called him names. And he decided to <laughs> be proud. Yeah. And as Robert Harris, the wonderful Robert Harris says in, in our film, uh, Rudolph, the great thing about Rudolph is he didn't get a nose job. <laughs> 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 but as he's telling the story, he starts to actually cry because right. it's such a moving story. And it's like, now I listen to Rudolph in a department store and I start to weep. <laughs> like, what the hell? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in history. So what to drink with both The Man Who Invented Christmas and Dreaming of a Jewish Christmas? I'm thinking the perfect festive cocktail, the snowball. Now, it was thought to be invented in the 1940s, but it became very popular in Britain in the 1970s, and it could not be easier to make. You combine Advocat, that's a Dutch egg-based liqueur, and lemon-lime soda like Sprite, and then you garnish it with a cherry. Cheers and enjoy the movies. Ho 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 ho. The competition for the booziest Christmas song of all time is fierce. 
There's this one, Christmas in Jail by the Youngsters. Christmas in Jail, Christmas in Jail, had a little too much to drink. Ain't got no bail, ain't got no bail, and I'm spending New Year's Eve in the clean. And there's this one, The Twelve Drinks of Christmas by Frankie Ford. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me six black Russians, five Rob Roy's, four hurricanes, three Chevitz Regals, two dry martinis, one Bloody Mary, and a partridge in a pear tree. Okay, they're both great songs, but for my money, one song tops the naughty list for the booziest Christmas song of all time. That has to be Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. Released in 1987, the song is an Irish folk-style ballad and was written as a duet with the Pogue singer Shane McGowan and Christy McCall as bickering former lovers on Christmas Eve. A song about their youthful hopes crushed by alcohol and drug addiction, it doesn't sound like a Christmas cracker, but in the UK it was the most played Christmas song of the 21st century and re-enters the music charts every December. To find out more about the song, I spoke with Richard Balls, author of the best-selling biography A Furious Devotion, The Life of Shane McGowan. So the first question, the most important question is, is Fairy Tale of New York the booziest Christmas song ever written? I'd, I'd say it would have to be. I mean, I think it, I, in my opinion, it's also the, uh, the it's also the, the, the best Christmas song um, ever written. It's certainly the most unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is. It's like it's like a really good Christmas cake. I mean, it is literally steeped in um, in booze um, right from the right from the moment it starts. And I think that what you know that's one of the great things about Shane's storytelling is, like all good books, you know, uh, you're, you're straight in. You know, mm-hmm. it was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. You know, you you're straight in to the setting and where it is and you, you you can imagine straight away where this is all going do you know the details of the writing of the song yeah i mean originally uh, i think it was done about two or three years um previously i think the uh, the manager of the pogues frank murray kind of had a bet uh, with them and said oh, i bet you can't you know i bet you can't write a, a really good christmas song you know and uh, i think that, that you know so that that was the gauntlet was thrown down and Jem Finer, the banjo player in the Pogues, and Shane started together to write uh, to write a song uh, around Christmas. And I think originally had a slightly different idea, but then you know it was a kind of it was something that kind of germinated um, over two or three years. Really, um, you know, it was I, I think the idea for for it to be set in New York came from from Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, he took the uh, the idea, of the the title from Dunleavy's book, and um, you know it, it was it's it's about the human condition as as are so many of Shane's songs, and I think the idea came um, from from him to set it in New York, and that the, the characters in it were were Irish immigrants. I think that there's also something about this song that 
uh, is very common in a lot of Christmas music in that a lot of Christmas music is nostalgic yeah. in tone, but have a, a, a deep sorrow to them as well. I think that's right. And, I, and, and like a lot of songs, it means different things, I suspect, to, to different people. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the nostalgic and sentimental side of it. So he, he refers in there to, um, you know, the Galway Bay, an old yeah. Irish traditional song. Um, so a lot of people will will hear that and, you know, the bells are ringing out and then that that will make them um, feel nostalgic, sentimental for that kind of old Ireland. You're listening to author Richard Balls, author of the best-selling biography, A Furious Devotion, The Life of Shane McGowan. Makes a great Christmas present and it's available now wherever fine books are sold. You know, it'll it'll mean different things to, to, to different people. There's sentimentality in there, as you say, there's... But there's also what I love about it is it's all about it kind of dots its cap to, to all the Irish um, immigrants down the years who who went to who arrived at the gates of Ellis Island, probably with just, a, you know, a few possessions mm -hmm. and all of those kind of hopes and dreams of a, of a better life. And, you know, these two characters are are kind of speaking to that and also playing out that kind of, you know, unfulfilled uh, dreams and, and, and ambitions, mm -hmm. you know, I could have been someone, you know? Yeah. That line always slays me. It's so plausible and so, and so authentic. And that's another great thing about Shane's writing. It's, it's real, it's authentic, but it's also very literary. I mean, this is a, a song that could easily have been a short story and even a novel, I think along the way, uh, the storytelling yeah. is beautiful and it 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 encompasses uh, so much. It encompasses the immigrant experience, the waking up in the drunk tank experience. There's just so much richness there uh, that it really is quite extraordinary. Yeah, and I think you know that's that's one of the things I, I wrote quite a lot, uh, as you can imagine, in the book about the song. And I think it because I thought it it really um, deserved that. You know, it's a song of such depth. I mean, Shane didn't just add another kind of gaudy bauble. To the to, to pop's sure. Christmas tree, he actually added something of, of incredible substance. And do you think that's why it has lasted? It's about real people. It's not just about some, you know, sort of, uh, you know, just a, like a the normal kind of festive songs. Um, you know, even if they are about yearning, like you know, driving home for Christmas mm -hmm. and things like that, they are still, um, you know, I suppose ultimately it's a kind of sentimentality. But this this is a very bittersweet. Um, kind of sentimentality uh, that you, you find in this and uh, it's got so many layers to it like like you say I mean it, it's about it's about emigration it's uh, it's about I mean I think when in 1987 when when the song was released uh, I think that was the kind of peak of, of um, Irish emigration to New York a lot of Irish people um, in New York at that time and in America you know, that they, that must have resonated incredibly strongly with them. I would also imagine it provides a nice little annuity for the writers of the song, Shane McGowan and Jem Finer. Because it's a Christmas thing, it's the gift that keeps on giving, because it's not like a, you know, once in a, every 10 years it gets dragged out. It's like every year. And, yeah. and, and like I say, the sales, um, you know, it's a record that keeps being bought because of streaming and stuff like yeah. that, you know. Uh, which of course wasn't wasn't the case in the in, in the past and um yeah yeah i mean i think it's a 50 50 split i, I got told that so shane and jem finer share in that and they probably get 
180,000 a year, 175,000 wow. roughly. If you want to write a song, write a Christmas song. Well, write Christmas songs, I know. <laughs> well, I'll start making some notes and they'll yeah. send them over and we've got a year, you know, we can yeah. figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, scribble it, scribble it down and we'll send it down Tin Pan Alley and see what happens. That was Richard Ball's author of A Furious Devotion, The Life of Shane McGowan, available now wherever you buy fine books. It's a fantastic read that would make a great Christmas gift. A big thanks to Richard and to all my other guests, but as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed spending some time with me today. I sure enjoyed spending it with you. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Ho, ho, ho!